Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And this is the number one, number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs and it's brought to you by the American Institute of Sales American Institute of Sales Marketing and Management. If you're listening for the very first time, welcome. This is the radio program where we tell it exactly the way it is. Tell you what's happening in the world of business. Everything we can do to assist entrepreneurs by bringing the latest information every week on what is happening throughout the business world. Of course, the big business news this week, the big news this week, is that Friday's my birthday. So start saving, buy me a very expensive gift, anything from a Lamborghini to a lovely bottle of red would be fantastic. And to anyone else who's having a birthday this week, let your hair down. Give it all you've got. As I read yesterday, don't wait until you're 75 to wear purple. I love it. Now, we're supported by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management, which is one of the leading accreditation institutes in the world. You know, having the letters AISMM after my name has helped my career a lot. And uh, it always amazes me how many of my clients and colleagues look at my AISMM accreditation certificate on my wall, ask me what it's about. They've provided me with lots of assistance and lots of mentoring and over the years. I think I've been a member since 2000. In fact, I've got the certificate right here on the wall. I've been a member since 2013th of November 2002. I also wear my AISMM membership pin on my lapel and get heaps of comments on that. So if you'd like to have AISMM under your name, you've got to, you've got to qualify, of course. But um, join the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management now. There are several levels of accreditation. Go to AISMM.org. So let's look at some of the week's news. Google's planning to launch a new health service called Google Fit to collect and aggregate data from popular fitness trackers and health-related apps. And... uh, they're planning to launch it at the Google Google Conference for Developers, and that's being held next week. Now, this is a direct challenge to Apple's HealthKip framework, which we talked about last week, and is rolling out with its new mobile platform, iOS 8, this fall to aggregate data from wearable devices and apps. And just it's only just a month ago that uh, Samsung unveiled Sammy, a biometric data platform that also collects health information from devices and apps. So that space is really heating up. Google Fit will aggregate data through open APIs, instruction sets that allow apps to share information, and will also announce partnerships with wearable device makers next week. Apparently, Google Fit will allow a wearable device that measures data like steps and heart rate and all that stuff to interface with Google's cloud-based services and become part of the Google Fit ecosystem. So 
Sounds cool. Now, Google's kept much of what's going to announce next week under wraps, but it's scheduled several developer sessions where it could talk about Google Fit. There is a session on wearable computing with Google, and that's on day one. And it's followed by designing for wearables and then the broader Android and cloud session on day two. Perfect opportunities to talk about Google Fit. Creating health platforms has been a pretty difficult process for everybody, but um, particularly for Google and Apple with concerns over privacy and how best to process information as sensitive as health data. You know, you've got to be very careful that you don't get into the area of FDA-regulated diagnosis or you're in deep doo-doo. So they have to um, want to provide as much data as possible without stepping over the line. Pretty tough call, I guess, in some some cases. Now, Google may want a, its new platform to tie in with Android Wear, which is um, a version of Google's Android mobile operating system. You know, it's built for uh, smartwatches and other wearable devices. This way, somebody wearing two or three wearable devices that run on Android Wear could collect data like steps, heart rate, temperature, have it all aggregated by Google Fit at a central collection point. So very interesting. Large tech companies like Apple, Samsung, Google, are looking into data collection as the next step in broadening their ecosystems, in particular becoming a hub for health data picked up by the myriad sensors that we'll probably be wearing on our bodies over the next few years. I've seen some jackets and things that have got literally hundreds of sensors all feeding information back. So going to be very interesting. Microsoft's also getting into the game later this year with its own smartwatch that measures continuous heart rate. It's un- Nobody seems to know whether Microsoft will also launch a health data platform as well, although it already has Health Vault, which is a web-based platform that they launched mm, about four years ago to store health and fitness information. So if this rate of health and fitness measuring technology continues, we should be the healthiest nation on the planet, right? Everybody's going to be slim, jogging on the beach, riding bicycles to work. Wow, what a huge change from 60% of, 66% of people being either fat or obese. Uh-oh. Jeez, that's me dreaming again. Shit. The reality is absolutely nothing will change. The average person will still be just as fat, just as unhealthy, just as lazy. But those who are already fit and healthy will just have a lot more statistics to back up their boasting. I hope that's not the case, but I'm pretty fearful (laughs) that it will be. We also got a glimpse a couple of days ago of the new Samsung line of tablets. They're launching them this summer, and they're called Galaxy Tab S, which uh, comes in two sizes, a 10.4-inch model and an 8.4-inch model. Both are pretty much the same on the inside, but the big selling point here is the screen. It's put its super AMOLED display on a tablet for the first time, 
And for those of you who are using Samsungs or seen the Samsungs, the quality of the image is just phenomenal. So it's the same display that's used on the Galaxy S5 phone, and that's got to be, without question, the best screen on the market. Samsung makes a lot of different tablet models under the Galaxy name, but the Galaxy Tab S will be the company's flagship brand. And interestingly, it's priced exactly the same as the iPad Mini and the iPad Air, with the 8.4-incher starting at $399 and the 10.5-incher starting at $499. When you think what you're getting for your buck these days, that's quite remarkable, isn't it? You get an amazing computer with extraordinary graphics for three ninety nine. Woo! Now the new Samsung tablets are very thin and very light. They're both thinner than the iPad Air, and uh, unlike previous tablets from Samsung, the uh, Tab S sounds feels pretty sturdy instead of sort of plasticky like. It was. It looks good from the front, but I've got to say the back still has the same crappy, dimpled plastic that was on the Galaxy S5. But if these tablets emulate the performance of the Galaxy phones, it will be a runaway winner. It's also, just like the Galaxy S5, the Tab S has a fingerprint sensor embedded in the home button. So you can use it to either unlock the device without a, post, without a passcode or to make payments through PayPal. Very cool. Samsung's also designed new cases for the Galaxy Tab 5 called book covers. They just snap onto the back of the tablet and let you prop it up on the table with three different viewing angles. Also very cool. So while we're on the subject of phones... Amazon's expected to introduce a smartphone tomorrow in Seattle, and this is intended to close any remaining gap between the impulse to buy and the completed act. Amazon's invested billions of dollars constructing warehouses all over the country to develop goods as fast as possible, preferably within a couple of hours. They're building devices as varied as tablets and set-top boxes, and creating and licensing entertainment to stock those devices. So they're coming a long way. And, of course, they're trying to close the gap and lock out competitors such as Walmart, eBay, Apple, and Google, who have got to be getting very, very uncomfortable watching Amazon's dynamic growth. You know, Amazon's closing in on that extremely extremely elusive $100 billion revenue mark. I mean, that's really quite extraordinary. And the phone, well, that's the last and the most crucial link in Amazon's enormous enterprise. You know, it's got to be a huge gamble. As, you know, from what you read, most of the um, best tech companies still have trouble creating great phones. A Google smartphone, the Nexus One, failed to catch on at all. Google then bought Motorola and then dumped it. BlackBerry, who was once the uh, dominant smartphone maker, is struggling to even stay afloat. 
microphone, uh, microphone, start again. Microsoft's Windows phone is less than 3% of the global market and a Facebook phone fell over last year. So, and when it comes to smartphone profits, Apple and Samsung divide them up, leaving almost nothing for every other manufacturer. And with them moving 120 million units a year, at least in the United States, phones have to be regarded as a very mature market. But Amazon's really got no choice, and the rewards, if it cracks it, could be tremendous. So mobile is asserting not only its utility, but its absolute supremacy. So Amazon's got to be sitting there concerned that they could be just cut out of the next big interface. Somebody comes up with a blockbuster and all of a sudden they've got a lot of big investment that they could struggle to make up. And uh, I guess the risk of them doing nothing is that it could be totally marginalised by one of its competitors very quickly. When you think about it, though, Amazon's got one hell of a big advantage over other phone makers. They've got 250 million customers and they can sell directly to them without a middleman. It can just bundle features with the Amazon Prime Membership Club, just as it did last week with its new streaming music service. So it's got a lot of things going for it. Um, An early demonstration of what Amazon wants to do with shopping can be seen in the Dash, a wand that the company quietly introduced earlier this year. Customers who belong to Amazon's grocery service can use Dash, which scans barcodes and take voice command, to restock their refrigerator and cabinets. So imagine Dash being set free on the world and you have Amazon's long-term hopes for a phone, the phone that will remove the barriers between I want that and I now have it. So no matter what happens tomorrow at Amazon, The event has had more hoopla than any other Amazon release in memory. And that suggests that they are about to come up with something big. Now, I think this is the first time in three years that we've covered any sport at all on this program. But tonight, I want to go out of my way to congratulate the USA soccer team for their fantastic performance in Brazil yesterday. A great win against a team that's beaten them several times before and in critical situations. And I would also congratulate the LA Kings for an incredible performance to win the Stanley Cup. Of course, if you're uh, an avid Facebook fan, You've probably seen the videos that have been posted online showing what uploaders describe as hockey fans destroying a Los Angeles Police Department drone outside the Staples Centre Friday night after the Kings win. Um, Riot police were called in to break up what the LA Times described as a melee outside the arena following the Kings' victory over the New York Rangers. In one clip, that I saw online, a drone can be seen hovering over the crowd of hockey fans, 
before it was knocked out of the sky by people simply throwing shoes and clothing. Christ, I hope they're they're not going to use these things to save us in Iraq. Hockey fans chanted, we got the drone, we got the drone. And the LAPD has not responded to requests asking whether they'd lost a drone. Of course, with no official response, it's impossible to confirm whether the drone in the video did indeed belong to the police. But it's interesting to note that the LAPD was recently given two unmanned aerial vehicles, i.e. drones, by the Seattle Police Department. I guess they're probably now down to one. At the time, when they, when they got the drones, they said it wouldn't engage in widespread surveillance with the aerial vehicles and will only employ them for narrow and prescribed uses, including hostage situations, barricades and suspect searches. I guess they forgot to mention subversive hockey games. <laughs> I love it. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management. We're here to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you have a question about any aspect of business or have a recommendation as to somebody you'd like me to interview, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer you on air or email you directly. After the break, I'm going to be talking to Michelle Bayan, who's always been focused on one thing as an entrepreneur, making a real difference to people's lives. And Michael started with storytelling when he began his career in the film industry. He was producing indie films, including one starring social network lead Jesse Eisenberg, and he won numerous awards and accolades. Then came the boutique digital agency, Mingling Media, then Clutch, and now he's EVP of FragMob. He's a great guy, and uh, they have cutting-edge mobile technology proven to significantly increase the effectiveness of the industry's 92 million independent sellers. Michael's also a member, as am I, of METAL, which stands for Media and Entertainment Technology Alpha Leaders and is an incredible organisation comprising the leading lights in nearly every major industry. I love it. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management, and I'll be back with Michael in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com.
You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show, where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people. We talk about the services and, and products they provide and try to find out what it is that makes them tick. What is it that makes them successful? You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business and entrepreneurs need all the help they can get. And that's why it's so important for all of us that are in business, whether you're a startup or an early stage business or whether you're an established business. You need to have role models and mentors and to take on board all the advice that you can get from people who are already successful. All entrepreneurs, I say this almost every week, no matter where you go in the world, all entrepreneurs have the same issues, the same challenges. And if we can learn from people who have gone before us, then they're mistakes that we probably won't make. And uh, my next guest, Michelle and I both belong to Metal, which is Media Entertainment Technology Alpha Leaders, which is a group of some of the most powerful people in all walks of business uh, that meet every week in Santa Monica. And, uh, you know, I've done a lot of work through the group. I've learnt a lot through the group because they're people that are either just starting out, trying to build a business, or they're people that are very successful and want to help others. So if you can get yourself into a, into a mentor group, you should do it. Now, Michelle Bayon has always been focused on one thing as an entrepreneur. And it's the most important thing that any entrepreneur can aspire to, really, and that's making a real difference in people's lives. And uh, it, you know, I guess most entrepreneurs would argue that what they do makes a difference to people's lives, but you know, some do and some just are a good way to, to make a buck that don't make much change at all. But as Executive Vice President of FragMob, Mike, Michelle and their team are pushing the envelope and disrupting the direct selling industry with cutting-edge mobile technology, which has been proven to significantly increase the effectiveness of the industry's 92 million independent sellers. I must admit, when I saw that number, that number astounds me. 92 million people, um, one way yeah. or another, in the direct, um, direct selling industry, that's huge. That's one hell of a big market. And in the technological revolution, that's one that's becoming more and more important. Michelle's a noted writer and speaker in direct selling. He's advised numerous corporations in the industry on their digital strategy and how to burst the bubble by getting out of the industry's shadow to build a mainstream brand that will endure through this rapid-changing information age. Over the past couple of years... Uber and Lyft have disrupted the uh, taxi and public transport industries and are about to disrupt delivery services, I suspect. So my first question to you, Michelle, is how are Uber and Lyft drivers similar to, to direct sellers? What's the relationship there? That's a great question, Bob. Thanks for asking. Um, Uber and Lyft, I think, are, to your point, definitely disrupting the taxi market. <laughs> to say but the in least. a sort of indirect way... <laughs> Yeah, in, in a sort of indirect way, 
direct uh, and disrupting direct sales as well. Uh, if you look at the promise that uh, being an Uber driver or a Lyft driver um, has for you, it's very, very similar and there are many parallels to those of direct selling. So, for example, you can make your own hours. You can be part of a really cool social community. You don't have to have a quote-unquote boss. And uh, you can make extra money on the side in addition to whatever it is that may be your full-time job, which is the case for many Uber and Lyft drivers and is also the case for many direct sellers. Right. Direct, direct selling's always seemed to me, I've never done it, but it always seems to me to be a pretty hard way, hard, pretty hard way to make a dollar unless you're working for an organization that is sort of a household name so that when you um, get to somebody, they, uh, you don't have to educate them about the product. Is that, is that the it can definitely be challenging. Uh, I, I agree. I, th- I think that there, it, it's one of the. It, it's, it's a very interesting place to me. Um, I've been. I was a seller in the field for a few years myself uh, with a company back in that day that was called Prepaid Legal. Nowadays, it's called Legal Shield. Okay. And what I found was that the, the biggest challenge to selling in the industry isn't the product because the companies have to do a good job with presenting their products if sure. they have some kind of science back behind their product. They have to create all the media and all the, all the materials that you would use as a seller to present to people. The biggest challenge really is, is the actual individual themselves because they're not professional sellers. Um, usually they, a, a person who joins a direct selling opportunity has never quote unquote sold or at least consciously sold because I believe we sell, we're selling things all the time without yeah, sure. knowing it, but they haven't they haven't consciously, quote unquote, sold anything to anyone before. And they haven't, and while they get very romant, romanticized by this idea of being able to be free from their job and there's no boss, no one breathing down their neck, you know, no sort of accountability to be anywhere at a certain time, that all sounds very romantic, but at the same time, it's extremely unstructured. And yeah. a lot of these people actually need some kind of structure in order to be successful. So they like the idea of the freedom and then they walk into something with no structure and then someone comes and dumps a big giant bucket of details on their heads and they all just go, <laughs> and a lot of yeah. times they end up just doing nothing. Uh, a, a really staggering industry statistic that you, might, that you might not even believe is that seven out of 10 distributors who see an opportunity, sign up for that opportunity, pay money to sign up for that opportunity, seven out of 10 of them will, will quit before they even make a single sale. Yeah, it's that. That's a psychological thing, though, isn't it? I mean, one of the things yeah. that um, I've read, and I don't know how true it is, that most people in direct selling make a sale after about the eighth approach or something like that, and most people give up after about four because it's got to be disheartening to be either face-to-face or whichever way you're direct selling and get rejection after rejection after rejection. I mean, sooner or later, you've got to go, well, fuck this, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> Don't you? That's true. I mean, in, in, in any kind of sales, it's the same, right? The fortune yeah. is always in the follow-up, right? That's right. And, uh, and that's where a lot of people kind of fall off because they don't want to be bugging people over and over again. But what I also found was a big challenge for people was that let, let's say they're doing a, let's say they're in a product uh, company that sells something that is going to help people lose weight, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure right. everybody knows a number of, yeah. So let's say there's a, I, I know a bunch of people that might stand to lose weight. Yep. Right. But how am I going to approach them? Yeah. You know, I'm not going to go up there and be like, hey, Johnny, you're fat. I got this great company. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I probably so, would, but most people probably wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you might be a great direct seller then. I don't know. But, uh, 
you know, I think that the, the challenge is, is, is that a lot of people feel very uncomfortable with that initial approach yeah. and they need some kind of, of something to give them the, to sort of open that door for them to allow the conversation to happen. And once they do that, they can much more easily have that conversation because once that door is open, then it's just about recommending a product to a friend, just like you would recommend any other product. Yeah. But when you recommend products to a friend, it's because the door was opened, right? So you just need the same thing. The door has to open. What's the balance between using psychology to get into somebody's head against using facts and, and data to get into somebody's head? seems to me that a lot of it is, is learning the psychology of selling. It is, but I think a main thing that I always used to teach people when I was in the field was People buy for emotional reasons absolutely. and justify with logic. Absolutely. It's not the other way around. Yep, absolutely. And so it's about finding the pain, right? Like what is the pain that this person is experiencing that my product or service can alleviate? Yeah. So that the first thing I can do is I can pull off the Band-Aid of whatever the pain they have is to expose it, and then I can tell them that I've got something way better than the Band-Aid they have, or maybe they don't even have a Band-Aid already. Yeah, but the, the, isn't there psychology in that so that the person doesn't get, you know, hi, you're fat. So if he's got, <laughs> if he's got a Band-Aid that he wears oversized clothes to, to camouflage it, no matter what happens, unless you're psychologically clever, you're still going to be telling the guy he's fat. Yeah, well, that's what we're trying to do. I mean, that that's the thing that we're trying to do with Fragbob is we're trying – this is the – this is where the Uber and Lyft kind of parallel come in as well. What I admire so much about Uber and Lyft, Bob, is that they've really basically, it, I call it technology-enabled income. Yep. They've created a piece of technology that literally does every single thing that a machine can do and only leaves the things that a human being absolutely must do to be done. Yep. And, and that's what we're working on in Fragmont, the same idea. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you should um, use um, Uber and Lyft in the same sentence because I think uh, Lyft's only in about fifty markets, isn't it? Where Uber seems to be just steamrolling the world. Good point. Uh, Uber is definitely growing very quickly. I think the growth rate of Lyft is faster than that of is Uber, it? but but okay. Uber is also. Uber is also much bigger, so you know the growth rate is not going to be as much because they're just so much larger. Yeah. But I believe the last number I saw with Lyft was uh, was maybe sixty five or seventy in the cities, and I okay. think Uber's at like one fifty or yeah. something like that. That might not be very very super recent numbers, but I'm, I'm, I'm probably in the ballpark. Yeah. <laughs> and all the boring old farts in uh, in government are trying to put as many roadblocks in the way as possible. <laughs> Absolutely, and that's another great parallel to direct selling. Is that you know these guys are trying to disrupt the market, and they're facing a lot of regulatory uh, sort of confusion, misinformation, right? And the direct selling industry is facing a major issue like that right now. The the whole uh, Bill Ackman shorting Herbalife scandal that's going on right now yeah. is, uh, is 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 bringing about it's stirring up a whole bunch of insecurity amongst regulators about the. The uh, about what direct selling is really all about, and the industry has got a real mountain to climb to kind of really get people to understand the truth of what this opportunity is. And to me, it's it's probably the only, if not if not one of the only, 
truly 100% democratized equal opportunities in America because it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter where you were educated. It doesn't matter who you know. It doesn't matter what language you speak. You're all starting in the same place. Yeah. And now it's up to you to take that and make it something. So why, why do you think government is um, trying to increase regulations on, on direct sellers? I think it's very, very easy to be misunderstood. Yeah. And I think a lot of times you, we find this with, with a lot of regulation is that, you know, most, I like to, I like, I, the only way I can live a life without being, you know, completely paranoid all the time is to try to <laughs> have, have the belief that most people are inherently good, <laughs> right? And yeah, that I, most I agree with that. And people are not out to screw everyone, yeah. you know? And, I, and, and, I, and I think that in direct selling, that's absolutely the case as well. Most companies are very good, but there are some companies that have been busted for being pyramid schemes. Yeah. And, uh, and, and those companies uh, play a role in, uh, in, in giving the industry a bad name. Uh, and also, there are sometimes members, not only of companies, but sometimes leaders in the field that are using sort of questionable tactics to bring people on board. To me, I think that, you know, a very, very heavy focus on recruiting yep. can sometimes cause, can, can give you a quick result now, but have a big cost in the future. Because if you're recruiting a whole bunch of people that don't have any business trying to do this business, and you're just doing it to get the numbers, those people are all going to churn out having had a very horrible experience and having felt slighted. Yeah. And so when you're doing that by the thousands and thousands and thousands you're building up an army of people that think that direct selling sucks. Yeah, I think that's probably... And so for us, yeah. that retention rate is a critical thing. Keeping yeah. people in the business and making sure they have a, a fair experience and a fair shot when they get there. Yeah, well, I, I, I think actually, um, considering the potential for a bad image for direct selling, I, I, I don't think they're, they're doing too bad because it doesn't matter what industry you pick. You can take the automotive industry and look at GM. Um, I mean, <laughs> there's, mm-hmm. there's horror stories in every um, in every business, and I must admit, my experience with direct sales um, people's actually been pretty good over the over the years. So how I'm happy to hear that. So you've got you've got a whole bunch of people who um, represent a company or a service or a product, and they get training, and then they do what they do. How can um, mobile and and new technology increase distributor productivity? I mean, what, what I mean, apart from being um, quicker access to information about your customers and, and, you know, those, and um, easier um, back-end control, what, what other benefits can um, this new technology add to direct selling? Well, you're, you just brushed upon it when you were talking about access to information, but it's not just about the access to the information. It's about what we do with that data and the way that we present it. So if you're a direct seller, I would say 9.5 times out of 10, you've probably already got some kind of full-time job that you work, and your direct selling is something that you're using in your interstitial time. Right. Right. So you've got, you know, you're, at, you're, you're waiting out, 75% of direct sellers are women. Um, so let's say you're waiting outside of the school. You've got five minutes and your kids are going to come out of school. You want to know, what can I do in this five-minute period? What are the one or two things that I can do in my business right now that are the most high payoff activities possible? Right. And because compensation plans are extremely co- complicated 
and, and very deep, and there's a lot of details to it all. It's a hard thing for people to kind of be able to calculate on the spot. So what we do is we analyze the entire compensation plan for a user and serve up to them the highest payoff activities for them. So we say, okay, if you've got only five minutes now, here's a person on your team. If that person makes one more sale, they're going to get a promotion. If they get promoted, you're going to make a few bucks too. Call them. Right. Gotcha. That's, that's, that's one example. Yeah. So it's about, it's, about, it's about the efficiency. It's about our mission and, our, and my personal obsession is about increasing the, not the number of distributors there are and not necessarily the number of sales there are, but the number of sales per distributor. Because I think we've got to compete with that $20 per hour that they could make if they just wanted to go drive a car for Lyft. Right. And, and so we've got to go make, we've got to compete with that by making them more efficient. And the way we do that is by, on one end, helping them manage their team in a much more efficient manner so that they don't have to do the thinking. We do the thinking for them, right? Everything a machine can do, we do, and they just do the people-to-people the people people stuff. And now they know that the actions they're taking are the best possible action that they can. That they can. So who engages you? The, the, the company engages you to make their people more effective, more efficient, more time efficient, certainly, and more um, open up the most available challenges the quickest. Mm-hmm. Is that... Exactly. Yeah, so we're, we do a B2B sell. Right. So we sell directly to the corporation that will have, you know, generally thousands or tens of thousands and sometimes even hundreds of thousands or millions of distributors some yep. of these companies have. Yeah. Uh, many of them are operating in some, anywhere from one to a hundred different comp- countries simultaneously. Yes. Yep. And, uh, and so we will go, up, go to them and say, hey, this is the way that we approach the system. This is the way we look at the world. Uh, mobile really is the future of this industry. It, it's always been a very mobile and social business because, yep. you know, no distributor sure. makes money sitting behind a desk. They got to be out there talking to people. Yep. And we're that tool that's with them everywhere they go and uh, helping them make the right decisions at the right time. Do you actually uh, get involved in training people as well or do you just set up the, the, um, the systems and allow the company to impart that through their own means? Great question, actually. We are a little bit different than other software providers in that people like me on our team have some experience in the field right. and have contributed a lot to the industry in terms of thought leadership in that way. And so what we do with all of our customers is we say, look, we can deliver you the best technology in the world, but you're only going to get 50% of the result if you don't do your end. Right. And your end is a sort of cultural uh, aspect and so what I'll do when I get started with a company is I'll go spend an entire day with them. Once we sign our contract, I spend literally a whole day with them and all of their stakeholders from marketing, sales, training, social media, technology, every department is represented that, that touches on this, on okay. this uh, strategy that we'll be working on. Yeah. And we'll literally go through, first of all, how do we make the app? What are the behaviors that we want to drive from your field? So where are the challenges that you're facing right now? What are the behaviors that you know people need to do that they're not doing enough of? And how do we drive that behavior through the way we design our user interface, through the way that we pick and calculate and crunch through data? Then we'll go into the topic of how do we make this into a brand image for you? So going mobile for a direct selling company, they have an opportunity to say, hey, look, we're going to burst this bubble like you were talking about earlier. The industry is in this bubble 
uh, that leaves it isolated from mainstream culture and leaves it years behind in technology. So this company is essentially saying, hey, we're bursting this bubble. We're going to jump up to the front. We're going to be cool just like every other mainstream brand. And we're going to have this app. And we're not just telling you we're going to do it with one release. We're going to be always bringing out new stuff. So every quarter we'll come out with new features that are going to be, that we've listened to you. We've asked you what you wanted and you asked for this and we gave it to you. And every quarter there's new stuff coming out that's, that's re-energizing the field and getting them excited to re-engage with the business again. And then I'll work with them on the sort of how do we approach it from a training perspective and a content perspective to get people, to get their leaders in the field to take ownership of this and disseminate it through their downline. Right. to get their, their video people making the right kind of testimonial videos and the right kind of content that I've seen work for other companies in the past to get that adoption and get people using the product. Do you, and that's how you really get the most bang for your buck. Right. So do you do push notices? Or do you get them you know, to do push notices to clients and more potential clients and all that sort of stuff? Is that all included in what you... Actually, we're working on a feature right now that is actually going to work the other way around. So we're trying to let we're working on an algorithm right now that's leveraging their social media data. Right. So if I'm a if I'm a distributor in a company and uh, you know I've got an average of you know several hundred or maybe even a thousand friends on Facebook. Right. Um, all of those I don't see what all of those people are saying and doing in any given day because it's just way way too many of them. Yeah. But um, but a machine can see it. Right. Yep. So if you give us permission, we'll go and watch every single person you know on Facebook. And as soon as any one of them does something that indicates they might be interested in one of your products, your phone goes, ding, this guy just said this on Facebook. Go get him. Wow, that's very cool. <laughs> so how, how, did Frag Mob, <laughs> how did Frag Mob start? You woke up, Somebody woke up one morning at 2 o'clock in the morning and go, aha. How did it come yes, about? Yes, absolutely. It, it, was, uh, it was our founder and our CEO named Jay Charles. Yeah. Um, he is the sort of uh, technology mastermind behind the actual implementation of our product. He built the first app we ever made, which was actually a BlackBerry app, which tells you about how old we are. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he built the whole thing by himself, the first one. It was his idea. And, uh, and our, first, our first customer was a company called Vitalis. And we were very lucky to, to join up with them. Their, their CEO, Ryan Blair, saw what we were doing, saw what Jade was doing, and said, yes, this is the kind of brand we want to be. We want to be mobile forward. Build this for us. Right. And uh, Jade built it, and that, that brought us into a contract with them. That, uh, they, and, it, and we did so well. And, you know, we have our users are, are we're so addicted to the platform. Our users to this day, our active users, open our app 17 times every day. Wow. So they're just super addicted. And so when Vitalis saw those results, they wanted to have that as a market and competitive advantage. So they paid us for an exclusivity. Right. And uh, that exclusivity just expired at the end of last year. So this year is really the first time they were available to anyone That you're else. at. Okay. So yeah. what are the unique opportunities that direct selling offers? What it... Great question. I think... The, the potential of it is is really beautiful. Um, that, that's really where you can separate it from the Ubers and the Lyft of the world, right? When you're working in Uber and Lyft, you're still just locked down to dollars per hour. There's no leverage there at all, right? Right. And as a direct seller, and don't get me wrong, it, it, it's not easy, right? Just like anything else in life, right? Yeah. That's worth doing. It's not easy. No, but true. if you can, if you're willing to learn and grow. 
And, and that is one of the unique opportunities itself is that it's so personal development focused, that industry, because they know that most of the people that they're bringing up board are not professional salespeople, never led teams before. So you've got you've to become someone if you want to make it in direct selling. You're not going to generally be a leader if you stay the person you were when you started. Yeah. I mean, I've seen people that were, you know, didn't even graduate high school that, you know, really learned and applied themselves. And three, four years later, they're making $250,000 a year as a direct seller. Now, not everybody has to get there. For some people, they're just happy making an extra 500 bucks a month. Yeah. You know, if you make $2,000 a month and you make an extra 500 bucks on direct selling, yeah. well, you are happy. That's awesome. You can afford a you babysitter. <laughs> yes, yeah, a babysitter or paying down yeah, your sure. debt or putting some money away from your kid's college or something. You know, that you didn't have before. Um, so it offers that unique opportunity of personal development and, um, and, and, and really a feeling that, it, that just, it, it, it's unlimited to you. You can so, make as much as you're willing to work for. So what are, the, what are the inefficiencies that prevent distributors from reaching their full potential? I guess one of them is keeping um, your personnel motivated. That's got to be the killer. Oh, yeah. That is a big one. It's a really big one. And I think in industry, what I've noticed from people in the field is that you get a lot of what we call paralysis by analysis, yep. which is, you know, you've got, because of the nature of the industry, the way that people get compensated is quite complex because you've got lines of people under people under people, and you've got to work out all that math so that the company doesn't run out of money, but everybody somehow gets paid, right? Yep. And, uh, and so it, it, by, by nature, it's very complicated. And what I'll find a lot is that a distributor will get very excited by an opportunity. They'll join. They'll be really pumped up. And then somebody will just come with a big bucket of details and just pour it on their head. Yeah. And then they just kind of get into this, like, their eyes glaze over, and they're like, I, what That's do I do? too hard, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and it's just like, you know, confused minds take no action. And uh, that's one of the things that we try to do with our interface is we try to really – Show a distributor very, very simply, don't even worry about the comp plan. Just do this one thing now. Yeah. And then once you've done that, do this one thing now. And then once you've done that, do this one thing now. And, hey, congratulations, you just made it to the next level of the competition plan. What do you know? Yeah. Well, I guess if you're, if you're continually pointing out um, the best roads for people to take, they won't get anywhere near as disillusioned. And, and they're much more likely to be enthusiastic because they've got this support and enthusiasm's got to be half the battle i'd reckon in in direct selling oh yeah i'd say maybe even more than half the battle keeping people motivated is a is a big 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 challenge yeah i think in anything really in life you know you don't have in a regular job right if you and i have a job a nine to five or any other kind of job if we don't show up for two weeks and we don't return a single phone call we don't return an email right somebody yeah. else is sitting at our desk well, you know when we get back yeah but in direct, so that fear of loss is a motivator for us, right? Like if we don't perform, we lose. Yeah. But in a direct selling business, if you don't do anything, the only thing that changes is nothing. Yeah. So there's no fear of loss as a motivator. It's really more about hope of gain. Right. And so companies have to be very clever with that, with the way they with the way they motivate. So you and I are. You're in an elevator. I I step into the elevator. What's your um, elevator pitch to me? We're going up ten floors. What's your elevator pitch for Fragmob? Yeah. 
So if you're a direct selling company, one of the first things I'll say is, so what are you guys doing with your mobile strategy? We don't have one. And uh, you don't have one. Okay. (laughs) So I guess the next thing I would would bring up is, um, have you seen some of the results that other companies have had with, with their mobile? No, I haven't and, actually. You know, the, oh, great. Well, if, if you haven't heard of FragMob, you should see that, you know, if, you're, if you'll take a look at your web back office, I would imagine that when you, if your distributors log in three to five times in a week, you would consider that pretty successful, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. Well, think about this level of engagement on mobile. Our active users will open our app 17 times every day. So imagine wow. if your distributors were interacting with your brand 17 times a day. What would that mean? Uh, yeah, that, look, one of the problems that, that I have is that um, not knowing whether people are out working or whether they're not, or that's one of the major um, problems with our business. Absolutely. And that's where we bring data into the picture. So direct selling has been very dark in data for a long time. As a matter of fact, um, they don't have any, almost, almost no data on what it takes to make a sale, if you can believe it or not. Most companies really only know how many sales were made and how many people, new people were brought on board. They don't know how many prospects exist. They don't know how many prospects it takes to make a sale, how many people were invited to a presentation versus how many showed up. Conversion rates, nothing, zero. With our prospecting tool, we now start to bring light into that area for companies and show them how many prospects their people are doing, what videos they're sending, which videos tend to get a better reaction than others, and, and all kinds of data like that that can help them train not based on anecdotal evidence, which is what they normally do, but based on data, right? which we think will make things way more productive and efficient. Okay, ding, we've just arrived at the 14th floor. <laughs> Michelle, it's <laughs> been great speaking with you. I actually haven't been in the direct selling business, um, but um, it sounds, it, it always seemed to me to be too hard, but um, FragMob seems to be making it one hell of a lot easier for a company to be successful. Now, if you've if you're got a direct selling organization and you'd like to know more about FragMob, F-R-A-G-M-O-B, go to fragmob.com. I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, brought to you by the American Institute of Sales, Marketing and Management after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show, brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing, and Management on the Voice America Business Network. Now, the uh, reason this email segment's popular and has been since the inception of the show is that it doesn't matter where you are in the world or what business you're in, entrepreneurs all have the same issues. We all have the same challenges. And uh, you can be in retail or you can be a plumber or you can be make window frames. It doesn't matter much. You will face the same issues, challenge all of us. 
So this segment's popular because it doesn't matter where you're listening in the world or what business you're in, whoever's email we're answering will probably apply one way or another to you. Now, we've got a new sponsor here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management. So if you want the world to know that you're a force to be reckoned with, you must join now. I've been a member since 2002, and you'd be amazed how AISMM can open doors that you can't. Membership can increase your prestige and influence. So put AISMM after your name. It's made a big difference to my career, and it can make a big difference to yours as well. Apply now. Go to AISMM.org. Last week, we answered an email about making it big with your first impression. Whether you're applying for a job or pitching for an investment in your company or trying to sell somebody something, the impression you make on the person you're speaking with is critical to your success. And you only have a few seconds to do it. You don't have forever. So you've got to um, really make the most of it. So I've selected a similar email this week from Madeline Wright of Columbus, Georgia, and Madeline wants to know if there are words that we should not use during an interview. Hmm, interesting. Well, Madeline, since we're on the subject of speaking, not that I'm a great expert at it, as you can tell by listening to me, there are six words that everyone should remove from their vocabulary. Now, consider the... Think about the various ways that words can influence your personal or company brand through a, through a blog that people actually want to read or your content that lures thousands of new users to your product or services, an authentic voice that gets people interacting with you on social media. Maybe it's succinct to the point powerful business writing that saves time and eliminates uncertainty. You know, skilled words can be some of your most powerful assets, irrespective of what you do. They can also be your undoing. It can really screw you up. So there's a handful of words and expressions that I think you should remove from your vocabulary. Firstly, I don't like the words actually and but. When it comes to customer service, these seemingly unimportant, innocuous words can put distance between you and your customers. For example, if you say, actually, you can do this very simply. I mean, this sentence implies that the customer's an idiot. Actually, you can do this very simply. And the last thing you want to suggest to a customer is that they're an idiot. (laughs) As for but... People are always, as soon as you say but, they're waiting for the letdown. Um, I would take you to the um, Chamber of Commerce meeting, but, you know, so always try to keep it much more positive than that. Another word you shouldn't ever use is just. It just sounds negative. So, you know, think about the way things, way people say things. Um, I'm just, I'm just an intern. 
this immediately says you have no power, no influence, you're totally unimportant, and nobody gives a rats. So, you know, it's just a car, i.e., it's not a very good car, get in, it'll go 50 yards down the road before it dies. So don't use the word just because it's just, it's just so negative. Um, you need to think that in any business team or organisation, you're not just your position. You know, you're an integral part of your organisation. It doesn't matter what you are or what your role is. You're an individual. You've got goals and dreams and abilities. You've got ideas. You can be motivated. You can be empowered. You can be positive. You can be a really valuable member of the team if you decide to put forth the effort and work so that you can be these things. I mean, you know, once you start putting yourself down, oh, I have no say, I'm just, I'm just a secretary. Well, you know, a lot of secretaries come up with a lot of bloody good ideas. I've had um, businesses where I usually get everybody involved, doesn't matter what your role is, and uh, it's amazing when you have um, think tank sessions how often somebody who's just a secretary can come up with a brilliant idea. And I've seen it over and over again. Two more, more words you shouldn't ever use are always and never. Now, these are weapons would yielded in relationships that show up the, you know, like people say, oh, you always do that or you never do this. Really? Never? Ever? Any single time? So never can be very limiting, even if you think something will never, ever happen. Voicing your negativity will discourage others from contributing and ensuring that it never happens. Um, instead of should, use a phrase that's more specific and solution-focused. For example, this afternoon I'll spend 20 minutes searching online for ideas that might make this project more interesting and challenging in a motivating way. Finally, a lot of people get, have got the habit of saying like. Every second word, this is not only annoying, but it shows you have a very limited vocabulary. Madeline, I'm running out of time. We'll send you off a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, my latest bestseller, and I hope you enjoy it. Remember, the Bob Pritchard Radio Show is here to help small businesses succeed. Don't forget, I want to hear from you. So visit my website at bobpritchard.com. Sign up for my newsletter, email me, tweet me, and tell me what it is that you want to talk about. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs, brought to you by the American Institute for Sales, Marketing, and Management. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time. This is Bob Pritchard on the Voice America Business Network, and I hope that you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.